Well, good morning, Joliet First. If you would turn with me to John chapter 20, the Gospel of John chapter 20. We're going to be there in just a few moments. Um, your last couple of weeks, maybe the last 10 days or so, have probably been pretty busy. Um, the life of this church has been pretty busy last 10 days. Um, Easter, the week leading up to Easter and then Easter weekend um, is, is always uh, full of activity, which is a good thing. Um, it's good to gather together. Um, on, on the Thursday before Easter, we gathered here and we had a time of reflection and prayer and communion. Um, we also gathered here Friday night on Good Friday, and we had a time where we physically moved throughout this sanctuary and reflected on the different scenes, the different elements of the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus and what that means for us. And then Sunday we gathered and uh, we celebrated the empty tomb. We celebrated um, the forgiveness and the redemption that we have in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Um, now, many of you were here for all three of those nights. Many of you were here for uh, two of those gatherings, maybe just one. Um, but a logical question that many of us might be asking this morning is that in light of the empty tomb, what now? Um, in light of Monday, Thursday, what now? In, in light of Good Friday, what now? In light of Easter Sunday, what, what now? And, uh, and it's really since the first Easter <laughs> um, that, that people who follow Christ have been asking, what does it mean to be a Christian, right? What now? What, what now? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to believe in the empty tomb? What does it mean to be a follower of the way. Now, centuries have gone by. Millenniums have gone by. And, uh, and, and it's characterized by several things, what this means for us. You know, a lot of times our faith is really just characterized by our parents' faith um, for at least a portion of our lives. Um, kind of what my parents believe, what, what they do, the rhythms of their life my rhythms and my beliefs generally reflect theirs, right? Um, we ask, you know, what, what do we have to, <laughs> to do? I don't know if that's the right question, but what do we have to do with our lives? What are the rhythms that we have to fall into in order to be under the label of Christian? And so we hope to answer really that question in this series called Believe, and we really just use one word to answer that question. Um, now, this is maybe our reality in the Western world, right? The United States. It's West to, to us. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways. Um, <laughs> um, if there's one word to describe the rhythms of the Christian, the, the, the churchgoer, right? The, the follower of Christ. The word is formulaic. It's formula. It's rhythm. It's pattern. It's, it's unconscious habit. Formulaic prayers, formulaic gatherings, formulaic lifestyle, boxes to be checked, things to be done. And I don't know about you, but that gets boring fast. That gets, that, it does, doesn't it? It gets boring fast. <laughs> so the question becomes, is that really all there is to do? Is this all there is for us? 
and now sometimes we look at the word believe and we think, well, that just means to just, you know, believe. We're going to talk about that in a little while. But a lot of times when we frame up Christianity, we use the word salvation. We, 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 we use the word salvation as if this is, this is the thing that kind of distinguishes us from the rest of the world. And so we, we, uh, we just use that word a lot. Now, this morning we're going to be in the Gospel of John. Um, the word salvation in the Gospels is used twice. And not in the context that the evangelical Protestant Western Church uses it today. Um, the word believe in the Gospel of John alone is used 82 times. So maybe we should hone in, right? Does anyone else agree with that? Um, 82 times in just one book, just one, just one account of Jesus, 82 times the word believe is used. So we're going to talk about the tension between salvation and belief. And, and over the next six or seven weeks, this is what we are going to be talking about, is what does it even look like to believe? Now, this is what I want to tell you this morning, that believing is peaceful. It's the name of my sermon, right? The, the sermon that I'm going to have the opportunity to share with you today. It is the big idea this morning. It is the big thought. It is the thing that I want you to carry for this week, if not forever else, right? Believing is peaceful. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. Before we do that, would you pray with me? Lord, we are thankful to be in your house this morning. Thankful that you have called us to gather here to remember what you have done for us. We are but a week removed, but Lord, it feels like so much longer of what it means to believe in the empty tomb. So Lord, help us today. Lord, those gathered here, we all have different stories. We all have different experiences. We all had different Saturdays. <laughs> we all had different weeks last week, but Lord, here we are equal, and we are pleased to be at the foot of the cross. Lord, as your word goes out this morning, may it not come back void. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we read the scripture this morning? John chapter 20, starting at verse 19. It'll be on the screen for those of you who don't have your Bibles. On the evening of that first day of the week, so Sunday, Easter Sunday, night, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. We said that earlier. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Mm. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't, they are not. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Now this is Thomas. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples, so a week later, come on. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. <laughs> Though the doors were locked, 
Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then, Thomas, then he said to Thomas, Hey, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus responded, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 30 and 31, such beautiful and unique words that we have with the scriptures. This is what the the author of this book, this account says. Someone who witnessed these things. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of us, his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Now, now Thomas, Thomas is us, right? Um, he, he pretty much embodies two different cliches that we, uh, that we say all the time. Perhaps you can help me with these cliches. Uh, seeing is believing, and I will believe it when I see it. Um, so Thursday, November 3rd, 2016, my wife wakes me up, my wife Ty. Uh, it's about 5.30, 6. She doesn't shake me like this. That's not how she wakes me up. Um, and she said, hey, the Cubs won. Thanks be to God. Uh, the Cubs won the you know World Series, 108 years, you know, and uh, now, so forgive me, Cub fans. I went to bed before the game was over, right? I know. Probably because I, probably because I didn't believe, right? Um, and uh, she wakes me. Hey, the Cubs won. I, I'm, I've been a Cub fan my whole life, so you know this is good. And then, uh, but you know, I thought in my head, yeah, I need to see this for myself, right? I will believe it when I see it. Uh, It's not that I didn't trust my wife. It's really that I didn't trust the Cubs, right? I didn't trust the goats, right? I didn't, I didn't trust these things. And so, uh, and so I said, I'll believe it. And and, you know, I get it. We say this all the time, right? We really do. You know, I, I get it. I get why we say that. But I want to tell you this morning that seeing is not It's not, and we're going to read why. Seeing is not believing this morning, verse 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believed. Those who have not seen yet still believed. Now, now here, Jesus is giving a nod to really what's going to happen right after Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit's going to come, and, and, uh, and Peter's going to get a good dose of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and he's going he's gonna to leave the house, and everyone's going to think he's hammered in the morning, but he's not, just the Holy Spirit. And he's going to give this, uh, this sermon, and uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, people who are going to receive that sermon, they're going to get baptized. And there was about 3,000 people that day that decided to follow Christ. They didn't see Jesus. Now, the original Greek translation of the word see is, guess what it is? It's see. I see you, right? Um, 
the, and you sing, you bitch. Um, the, uh, the, the people, Acts 2, verse 41, there's 3,000 people who did not have the benefit of seeing the nail marks, did not have the benefit of seeing the wounds in his side, and yet they still believed. This morning, Jesus says, blessed are they and us. We made the Bible. Woohoo! This is great. I, you know, we, ha- we have seen the evidence of God, amen. I mean, we, we, we see it in this church all the time. We see transformation. But here, Jesus is telling Thomas, you have had a great benefit of seeing the nail marks in my hand. Now, while that might be a gory thing, I personally do not do well with blood. That is a benefit. Because, you know, all it takes for a conspiracy theorist to believe is to just be there. Right? You know, uh, there are some people who don't believe that we actually walked on the moon. But guess who does believe that? The people who did it. Now, still to this day, people don't believe that. But there is a group of people and a whole lot of other people <laughs> who, who believe that, that you know, we walked on the moon. Um, there are people to this day, perhaps there are people in this room today who believe that the tomb was not empty. But guess who believed? Mary Magdalene. The people who saw Jesus. Thomas is one of these people. But if seeing is believing, then we are at a loss. We are in a really tough position. Because we haven't seen the nail marks. We haven't seen the wounds. We, we have seen the evidence. But we haven't, like Thomas and the disciples and others, have not seen with our eyes the physical, gory evidence of the crucifixion. So, of course, Thomas believed, right? Of course, after I checked my phone, I believed that the Cubs won the World Series because I saw it for myself. But if seeing is believing, then we don't believe. So I would present this to you. When we believe, we then see. That's our only option, right? We are... We are a couple thousand years removed from the crucifixion, from the event that we celebrated this last week, the resurrection, the empty tomb. But if, if seeing is believing, then, uh, then we're at a loss. We are in trouble. So I would say that seeing isn't believing, but when we believe, we will then see all that there is to believe in. So leading up to this moment, Thomas really does set himself up for disbelief. Thomas sets himself up for disbelief three different times. Verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came the first time. I'm about to give you a whole sermon in one sentence. If you are not in Christian community, you are going to miss Jesus. Thomas was not with the boys. And he missed it. He missed it the first time. Jesus showed up. He showed off the, the nail marks and, and the, the side wounds, and Thomas wasn't there. We don't know why Thomas wasn't there, but he wasn't. And we can learn from that this morning. If you want to see Jesus, if you want to keep seeing evidence of Jesus, evidence of the empty tomb, evidence of the resurrection, then you need to be with the boys. You need to be in Christian community. You need to be at a place like this where we can celebrate and gather. Verse 25, second half of verse 25. 
This is the second way that Thomas sets himself up for disbelief. Unless I see the nail marks, put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know what this is? It's just a list of demands. That's all it is. Uh, the evangelist Billy Graham, I, I really appreciate him. Um, he has served the Lord faithfully for decades. He really has. Um, and, and maybe you've heard some of his sermons or read his books. Maybe you haven't. Uh, you've probably, honestly, you've probably heard of him. Uh, Billy Graham, uh, he had these crusades and, you know, just New York, Chicago, all around the world. I mean, he just, he just preached. And, uh, and it, 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 I really like Billy Graham. Uh, I think we have a lot to learn from Billy Graham because he didn't really know at the end of the day the audiences that he was speaking to. He didn't know their church backgrounds. He didn't know if some of them maybe had never heard the word of God. Um, and so he had to be, um, he had to present the gospel in such a way to where literally anyone could understand by their, you know, human understanding. And so, and, and I'm going to paraphrase Billy Graham. Um, but he essentially says this when it comes to this conversation. Uh, Billy Graham says, and this is paraphrased, I think he would say this this morning. Um, God already created you. What more does he have to prove? Oh. He already created this world. What more does he have to prove to you, right? But Thomas gives this list of demands. I, and I got to see this, this, and this in order for me to believe. Verse 26. And we're going to get to this in a little bit later. But uh, verse 26 says, those the doors were locked. Verse 19, you know, earlier that week, the doors were locked. Out of fear, they hid. And if you're hiding, you're not going to see it. Thomas sets himself up three different times for disbelief. He sets himself up for disbelief. He has no idea how he's doing it. He's not in community. He's not with the boys. He gives a list of demands, and he's hiding. And so I have one little question for us, and, and our community groups this week will hash out this question. Um, do we set ourselves up for disbelief? I mean, do we do it? Do we do it? Thomas did it, Thomas, and, he, and Thomas made the Bible, right? So it's all good, but do we do that? We need, to be, we need to be proceeding with caution. So seeing is not believing, and there's a second point here. I'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to go back to the conversation between salvation and belief. We, we kind of talked about that uh, a little bit earlier. Now, John 3.16, probably one of the more popular verses of Scripture that there is, period. I mean, end of story. John 3.16, there's songs about it um, and uh, hand motions, I'm sure. And, you know, John 3.16, right? So, and, and this is what it says, right? Uh, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And just because he gave his one and only son, everyone's saved. And after we die, we'll all be with him in heaven forever. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The most popular, there's no doubt, the most popular verse of scripture, when, when salvation is discussed, John 3.16 is there, front row and center, here I am, my name's John 3.16, but what does it say? It says, believe. Whoever believes in him will have all of these benefits, Right? Now, we are being asked to believe before seeing. You understand this. 
we are being asked to believe than oftentimes before we see what we want to see. So if we believe, you know, what are we believing in? I'm glad you asked, y'all. Um, if, if we believe in him, then we have got to believe in what he said. We, just, we must. If we are going to believe in him, then we have to believe in what he said. So here are, here's just a short list of what we believe in when we claim that we believe in him. When John 3.16 is tattooed on our forearms, this is what we believe. Blessed are the poor in spirit. <laughs> Blessed are the meek. Eye for an eye is abolished. To be angry at someone is to murder them. We are forgiven to the degree that we forgive others. We believe the tomb is empty. We believe uh, in the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. We believe we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. But it is not enough to just believe in the reality of salvation. So, so here are the two differences. Here's where the shift needs to happen. There's a difference in believing that people can be forgiven and that I am forgiven. You understand this. There is a difference just going through life believing that salvation is a thing and believing for yourself that you are forgiven. And here's the difference. Believing that people can be forgiven is information. Information has come in, it stays, and here it is forever. When you believe that you're forgiven, your story changes. And your actions change as a result. And the things that you value change. If you believe you're forgiven, then your story changes. If that helps you at all, the difference between salvation and believing, kind of believing that salvation exists versus salvation is mine for the taking because God gave it to me. It's a free gift. I've accepted it. I believe in him. I believe in all of these things that we talk about at church, and my story changes forever. So this is what I want you to know. To believe in him is to believe in peace. We're going to learn why in just a minute. To believe in him is to believe in peace. Look at verse 21 with me here. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So this is what I want you to know. Seeing is not believing and Believing unlocks doors. And we're, we're going to get here in a minute, but I want you to know that believing unlocks doors. Verses 19 and 26, the doors were locked. Because of fear, the disciples were locked up by their own accord, by the way. The Jewish leaders didn't put them in a cage. They locked themselves up. So here's the peace of Christ, right? Verse 21 um, is often referred to by scholars as the commissioning of the church. Jesus comes and he says, peace be with you. And in the same breath, he says, as the Father has sent me in this act of peace, so I am sending you in this act of peace. In the same manner as God sent the Son, the Son sends the church. The peace of Christ is ascending peace, ours for the taking, when we believe. So, unlocking doors, right? Believing doesn't unlock the doors out there, right? 
believing that, so I'm, I'm going through life and, and I, I encounter these, you know, figurative doors. Believing doesn't unlock those doors. This is the door that I'm talking about. A lot of times, I know in my life, maybe you've felt this way before, that as a Christian, you feel as though you are alone, right? Is anyone with me? And, and you feel like you and maybe your church or maybe your small group or your family is in this room and you're hiding. You still believe, but because of that belief, you're kind of afraid of what happens out there at work now and, and how I have to behave when I go to Walmart and, you know, what do I wear to church now? I, you know, all these things. And so I'm, so I'm afraid. And now here's the door that's in front of us. It's got the door handle where you have to press the button. It also has the little chain thing where you, you know, to do the chain thing. Um, it's got a deadbolt. It has a, at the hotel where it's like that weird swinging thing, and then you open it, and then like the little ball catches it. It's got that too, and the, and the three-headed dog from Harry Potter is sitting in front of the door. How on earth am I supposed to unlock that door? Not the door that I encounter in the workplace. Not the door that I run up, run up into when I'm out in public or having a game night with my friends. It's the door that is separating me from out there. It's not the doors that are out there. It's the door that is separating me from out there. How do I unlock that door? I must have peace. I must have peace. And therefore, I must believe. <laughs> you know, if I just believe that this is true, if I, can, if I can just believe that this is all true, then imagine the peace that you would have to be able to leave the door that is holding you back. You know, the disciples could not get out of that house, literally, in the scripture. The disciples could not get out of that house until they received the peace. And how did Thomas get that peace? He had to believe. He had to believe. So, so we believe, and you know, after we believe, we, we see. And then after we can see, you know, all that there is to believe in, we, we receive the peace and then we are sent out to be peacemakers. I'm, I'm going re, to repeat all of that. It, it, it's helpful. We believe first. We believe. Then we, we see all that there is to believe in. Then we receive the peace. Through believing, we receive that peace. And then we are sent out. One of the values of this church is to be sent, to be a sent people. And what we are sent out to do is be peacemakers in this world. Why? Because blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So I want to highlight two different kinds of peacemakers, and they are amongst us today. And they've both signed waivers that I can talk about. If you know Larry Harlow Jr., you have been hugged by Larry Harlow Jr. Praise God. And, uh, and if you know Larry Harlow Jr., then you may or may not have noticed something about him, about his spirit, is that he never, ever, ever, ever uses divisive language. He is a uh, predominantly a Sox fan. It's not, it's not your fault, Larry. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> He, he is, he's predominantly a Sox fan, but you know what? Even when, when the Cubs come up, he's just, you know, Chicago, right? Go Chicago. 
I mean, not even a frivolous sports, which was in that video. That's a helpful video to, to introduce this series. Not even a frivolous sports team. This kid is not divisive. I say kid, he's older than me. He, he, is, not, he is not divisive whatsoever. Notice that. The next time you talk, the next time you just engage in conversation with Larry Jr., after he lets you go from the hug, you know, he doesn't use divisive language. So when I think about being a peacemaker, this is what I often think about is that after I have made a social mess, then it's me who kind of goes and, you know, hey, I hurt you. Can you come here and, you know, come here and you know, we'll gather. And this is me being a peacemaker, right? I'm cleaning up the mess that I made. The divisive language that I use, so here I am now trying to, you know, get forgiveness from people, all which are good things. But what if being a peacemaker was just not making social messes in the first place? See, what Larry Jr. does is he just heads it off. He understands the potential of what could happen with our words, which are mightier than the sword, and he just heads it off. He doesn't even, even play around with that stuff. So what if being a peacemaker was just about not making social messes in the first place? Kathy Yancher. Hmm. She, she's a peacemaker as well. Um, and, and she signed a waiver, so this is good. Um, <laughs> Kathy Anchik, uh, she's, she's a part of the, a group of people that, that gather in the sanctuary at 8.15 every Sunday morning. Did you know that there's a group of people who gather here at 8.15 on a Sunday morning just to pray for all of you? Did you know that? If you ever want to join us, you're more than welcome to join us, but you've got to be here at 8.15. And we, and we pray the day in. Now, now, if you know Kathy Anchik, you know that she knows about a million people, Literally. Now, I don't even say that as an exaggeration. This woman has been all over the world. She's never met a stranger. It doesn't care if you don't speak the same language. It doesn't care if you don't go to church or a different church. Kathy Antrek knows you, everyone she's ever met. And so if you know a lot of people, and if you care about a lot of people, and if the heart of God is in you like it is in Kathy Antrek, then you know of a lot more burdens you know a lot of people, then you know their stories. And if you know someone's stories, then you know that there's a lot of hurt and hang-ups in those stories. Kathy Antrek is one of these people. And oftentimes, at 8.15 on Sunday morning, she enters into the prayer circle and she says, you know, someone that I know is having a hard time. But this is what makes Kathy Antrek a peacemaker. Is that she knows that whatever the opposite of peace is, it is only temporary. Th this is another kind of way of being a peacemaker is knowing that whatever the opposite of peace is, it is only temporary. Now, for those of you who are my Facebook friends, I posed this question to the world, right? To the world a couple days ago, and I said, in one word, what do you think the opposite of peace is? Top three, conflict, war, anxiety. Now, it's very, very easy to define what the opposite of peace is. We did it together, Facebook. We did it. But I want to tell you that one way we can define what peace looks like is understanding that whatever the opposite is, is temporary. There's a verse in scripture that says, though there be pain in the night, joy comes in the morning. Though there are burdens of my friends, now there are new mercies tomorrow for that person who has a burden. There are new mercies for all of you tomorrow, now, today, for us to have 
And Kathy Antrick is a peacemaker because she understands that whatever the opposite of peace is, which we are very quickly and easily defined, the opposite of peace, whatever the opposite of peace is, Kathy Antrick knows it is temporary. She is a living embodiment of that there may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. So what if being a peacemaker was just not starting social messes in the first place? And what if being a peacemaker was just understanding that whatever the opposite of peace is that I'm living in right now is just understanding and believing that it is temporary? And, and both of these people would say that. I don't, I don't say that to glorify Larry Juna, Kathy Anchek. I, I praise God that they're just obedient to the Holy Spirit. See, if the Holy Spirit is in someone, this is what is possible. You might look at Larry Jr., you might look at Kathy Antrick and others in this church and people that we've met, and you just might think, well, I, I just can never be that. That's not true. If you believe me or not, whatever. Um, it's not true. God is ready to give you his Holy Spirit. We read about it. Receive the Holy Spirit. And, and as the Father has sent me with peace, I'm going to send you with the same. So go on now. Be a peacemaker. Now, why would I want to be a peacemaker? Because I can be called a child of God. Praise God to be his child. So this is the kind of peace we are sent with, and I want to leave you with this thought. It's that our level of belief is gauged by our level of peace. Think of a thermometer, two different thermometers, right? Our, our level of belief is gauged by our level of peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding the peace that surpasses any situation, the peace that allows you to not be divisive with any of your words. <laughs> I mean, any of your words. And the same peace that allows you to understand that whatever the opposite of peace is, that it is only temporary. And I mean like temporary as in like less than 24 hours. Because the Bible says, scripture says, in the morning, the next day, as the next day breaks, there are new mercies. And I guarantee, because I know it to be true for myself, that there are some times that I do not feel that same peace. Probably all agree that we want it, but there's a lot of times I don't feel it. And, and, and maybe you're in this room right now, or maybe you're listening to the podcast. We have a lot of podcast listeners that listen back to this, or maybe you're watching the video online here. Whoever you are, whenever you're listening to this, Perhaps you do not feel this kind of peace in your life. And that's real, and it's okay. I, I would offer two things to you. Maybe, uh, maybe you're not believing like you need to be believing. Now it's okay. There's grace here. This is a safe place. Maybe what you're believing in is what you do instead of what Jesus did. Maybe I believe in, in how often I can pray, read my Bible, and, uh, and text an encouraging text to someone in my day. Maybe I'm believing in that, and maybe that is what saves me instead of what believing, instead of believing in what Jesus did for us. So, so, so maybe you're not feeling peace this morning. That's cool. Thomas didn't either. Maybe you're not feeling that peace this morning, so I would offer this to you. Maybe you're not believing and what we're supposed to be believing in. And really, maybe you're believing a little bit too much in yourself and not enough in God. And there's a second thing. If we're not feeling this, this level of peace that we want, um, then, then I want to go back to the list of demands here. <laughs> 
maybe you have a list of demands like Thomas who made the Bible, so don't worry about it. But maybe you have a list of demands that have, has yet to be met. And because of that, you think that you have not seen Jesus. Does that make sense? Maybe you have a list of demands and, and you think that because my demands haven't been met, that therefore I have not been able to see Jesus. Here's the hope for this morning. Here's the hope for every single one of you, every single person in this world. If you are not feeling the peace that we have read about this morning, that we see in our local church, if you are not feeling that kind of peace, and if you want that kind of peace, then we need to unlock some doors. We need to believe. After we believe, we need to see after we see, we need to receive this peace that sends us to unlock the door that is keeping us from out there. Now, Thomas put himself behind a locked door. Thomas put himself behind a locked door. And I want you to underline, highlight, circle, whatever. Verse 26 at the end. Though the doors were locked... Even though Thomas put himself behind a locked door, Jesus got in there and said, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Peace be with you. Even though you lock yourself up, Jesus is there and you can see him even though you are locking yourself up. Is anyone with me? I understand that there are times in your life my life, our lives, where we do not feel peace, that's okay. Are y'all hearing me? That's okay. But what I want you to know this morning is that there is a God that has defeated death, and he is in your closet, and he went through the locked door, and he says, if you haven't seen it already, peace be with you. There is a hope for us this morning, friends, that regardless of whatever you feel like you can't do, regardless of whatever you feel like is a reason why God can't forgive you, whatever you feel like is a reason that God can't break into your life and change your story, I want you to know this, that even though it is us who lock ourselves away, there is a God who, despite that the doors were locked, he is right there standing with us, and he is saying the words that have revolutionized this planet. Peace be with you. Believing, friends, is peaceful. This is what I want you to know today. Believing is peaceful. Now, we believe in the communion of saints. And so this morning we are going to share in communion. So I would ask that if you are serving communion this morning, if you would uh, come forward and prepare to serve our people. We do this every week because we need to remember constantly what we believe in, why we believe in it, and what that means for us. This morning for us, believing is peaceful. Now there's a prayer that I would like uh, us all to pray together. We're going to have it on the screen. This is a prayer that is designed for our hearts to be molded and shaped into knowing the importance of what this act of communion means. So would you read with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed.
by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will 